uh, we'll forget about the adversity, and that's what they did tonight. Where did this this rank really going to stand out to you? You remember this game, forty-two nothing in the desert. You know what? I, I, that's always a tough question. You know, we've taken a major step. Okay, we've got we've this, got this a, team. Yeah, yeah. In, in the sense that the character they showed dealing with this. Uh, they focused up and, and uh, you know, we took care of it. I thought we, I mean, it was unbelievable. Everything I, I asked them to do in the sense of the trip and the accountability, they did it, yeah. you know. So, you know, we're going to grow from here. Hello and welcome back to the Trinity League Football Podcast. I am Dan Albano speaking to you here with our insider, Scott Barajas, it is a Monday evening, August 27th. Scotty and I are both back from Las Vegas, and we welcome you to our another broadcast and joining us on our, our inside look at the Trinity League. And Scotty, how are you uh, recovering from our, our trip to Las Vegas? I'm uh, doing pretty good, Dan. Uh, you know, it was uh, a very good weekend on all levels for uh, – for all of uh, MD football and for all the football fans who uh, went out to Vegas um, and who watched that game on TV, as well as all the other, you know, football fans um, that are following their Trinity League schools. So it was a good week. Well, I, I definitely uh, enjoyed the trip. Uh, you know, it was great to see a, a hyped up game. Great for, you know, you know, a celebration of high school football on ESPNU live. You know, see, uh, I'd never been to Bishop Gorman. Uh, got to see the their campus, see how hyped their student section was, see uh, you know see a lot of people in there. Um, I actually watched the game uh, from the st- from the stand from the on the mo- the visitor modern day side um, underneath an ESPN camera, and I was I was seated with some uh, which was because their the press box was loaded with TV guys, but it it was a good experience for me. I got to you know hear some uh, outside uh, Orange County. Uh, football fans talk about Gorman and modern day and um, high school football in general. I always like those different perspectives and stuff like that. And my video turned out pretty well because there was a great run by the first touchdown of the game, which really was the the changer. The game changer was Bryce Young's fourth down touchdown, uh, 34 yard, uh, you know, weaving through the Bishop Gorman secondary. I was, uh, that was toward my sideline where I was at. So it was, it was a blessing how it all worked out that it, he was running right toward my camera, and I got some pretty good video of that. And um, so uh, I, I definitely uh, got the. Uh, it was a nice taste of uh, you know national type uh, high school football. Yeah, that stadium is beautiful. Um, I even you know you know took a couple of uh, you know snapshots of that sunset sitting yep. over the. Uh, you know the um, hills, and uh, you, you couldn't ask for for a better setting on on that night. You know, it, it wasn't too hot. You know, the that sun uh, was hiding for those who were at the game. You know, the it, the sun you know set and it was hiding behind the, you know, some overcast, so it so it knocked the the, the temperature down a little bit. Um, and uh, yeah, it was a great night for football. Yes. And uh, we open the show with uh, comments from Bruce Rollinson talking about modern day's coach, talking about the steps that uh, he, the progress and the growth that the Monarch showed in that convincing forty-two nothing uh, victory. It was a culmination of uh, of a very, you know, intriguing and uh, firestorm, you know, uh, week for the Monarchs. 
you know, which started out earlier in the week with a very surprising story, which which is a forfeit, which uh, even our insider, Scott Barajas, did not see coming. Uh, you really had no hint that this big story um, was coming out, that the reigning national champions who were 15-0 last week, last year, I should say, that they were going to forfeit their opening game against Bishop uh, Amont because they used an ineligible player. Scotty, how surprising was that story and that revelation that came out on Wednesday? And what kind of things did you see kind of play out for Monarchs uh, as they you know, embarked on this big week that we're going to going to recap here shortly? You know, first things first, I mean, you know, it was an oversight. There was no deviance. You know, there was no deceit. You know, you know, forget what people were saying on social media because everybody jumped the gun. Um, you know, everybody kept saying that that's what they get. That's what they deserve. They were doing it you know to deceitful they they did it because they wanted they they didn't want to do it they did it now because if they was at the end of the year their whole season would have been shot you know there was no deceit bottom line you know and 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 people you know just tore apart modern day and and and, you know the kids on the other side of this the modern day kids you know rallied um amongst themselves you know and, and and took you know you know it was us them against everybody and you know it was either going to you know, bring them together or was going to tear them apart, you know, and I mean, and, you know, luckily it went on the opposite side and uh, they rallied together and, you know, something like this can only make, you know, um, a team stronger. Yeah. Well, well said. And we appreciate that insight here. Scott Ross has, Scott Barajas definitely has the uh, pulse of uh, these Trinity league teams and has a very uh, good insight. And I, I agree. I mean, I looked at some of those social media posts that came out, from players like uh, I, I was really intrigued by one by Mace Funa because Mace, as we all know, is out with a knee injury. Maybe he'll come back at the end of the year, but that'd be a long shot. But on Wednesday afternoon, he posted a um, a quick uh, post on social media on his Twitter account saying, "Ain't nothing wrong with a little adversity" or something like that. And you know, and there's a kid who knows about adversity. He's coming. You know, he's. He's experiencing it right now, trying to, you know, the Oregon commit, trying to come back from a knee injury. This is, you know, the news had been already out that Modern Day had an ineligible player. Um, and there was numerous other, there was a few other players that um, emerged as uh, kind of vocal guys that were um, saying some positive things on social media. A couple linemen, um, I think a young lineman, Marks, was one of them. Um, Ty Marks, right? Yes, correct. Um I think uh, also uh, cornerback, another kid who's kind of battling some injury, who didn't play at Bishop Gorman, I believe, um, Darion Green also said something positive on his, or he re- or retweeted something positive about adversity. Um, and I think we could go on and on. There was a, there was, and there was uh, even the the kid I think who eventually uh, who had some, uh, who was you know who was the ineligible kid. He posted something nice uh, about adversity and encouraging, I should say. Yeah, you know, and it, it's that's the day and age that we we are. Um, you know, it, it, everything kind of gets out there, and you know, it has a life of its own. And uh, you know, a lot of the times it can it can come back to bite you, and a lot of times it, it it's a blessing in disguise. And um, you know, these guys all rallied together, like we said, and you know, and, and we'll just have to see how you know how this you know goes from here, how they carry on, you know, throughout the rest of the season, you know, just. You know they they've overcome this big um, you know adversity shot. So you know we'll have to see what happens from here on out. 
because it's gonna get they're gonna they're gonna face more adversity in 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 the face of football adversity you know maybe not off the field adversity but football adversity is also gonna come that way so absolutely it comes to everybody every team's gonna deal with injuries they're gonna deal with some bad breaks and some turnovers and you know uh obviously the IMGs on the horizon St. John Bosco the Trinity League the Division One playoffs. There's a, there's a ton of things coming modern day's way, but we wanted to address that because it was the biggest story in Orange County sports last year, last week, Orange County high school sports was that forfeit and then the modern day uh, victory. So we wanted to address that at the top, but just to set the table and we thank Scotty and I thank you for joining the Trinity league football podcast. Please share this with your friends and tell them that you're listening to the the podcast and you're getting some good insight and you're getting ready for all these games because that's what Scotty and I are trying to do give you some insight, get you ready for games, keep you plugged in so you're able to uh, really uh, dive deep and enjoy these games and enjoy the season um, just like Scotty and I uh, do. So that's what we're trying to, to share with you. But we're going to review the games from last week and uh, we're going to assign our grades and our players of the week like we have. And then we're also going to preview the games for coming up this Friday, August 31st, the last uh, Friday of the month in August. Everybody is playing um, this week except Servite, which has uh, got that nine-game schedule, that fluky kind of weird thing happening with they didn't get a 10th game. So Servite's on their bye this week after a great rally against uh, Norco. They proved me wrong. I was the only pick I had wrong last week, Scotty, was I predicted Norco to beat Servite. Uh, I would have been about 11-0 and in my picks, but the Friars came back uh, in the second half unbelievably. But um, we will get into that. But, Sky, let's uh, start with that modern day game. Friday, it was a Friday night at Bishop Gorman. It was uh, over 100 degrees, about 100 degrees, about an hour before kickoff. It cooled off. There was a little breeze, like you said, cloud cover. But it was a dominant 42 nothing victory by modern day. They had the running clock going. Elias Ricks returned an interception for a touchdown about 90 yards on the last play of the game. But they called it uh, penalties. They did. You know, it was kind of weird. You're not supposed to end the game on a defensive penalty um, or on a penalty, I don't think, in, in general. And I know Rawlinson was telling them, telling the refs, just call it, just call it. There were some big hits uh, on, you know, on that by modern day on the block returns. Some, you know, uh, a couple Bishop Gorman's guys took some blows. I think Rawlinson uh, wanted just to get out of there. And it, they'd seen enough and enough uh, damage had been infl- uh, afflicted onto Bishop Gorman, but what was your take on this game, Scotty? I know you were present there at Bishop Gorman. Yeah, you know, I'm pretty sure everyone saw this game where they DVR'd it. Um, you know, was I surprised at the outcome? Yes and no. Uh, you know, like Rollo mentioned, you know, they were going to rally over this adversity or it was going to tear them apart. You know, knowing what this team is capable of, and can do and that's exactly what they did you know they showed their explosiveness they scored on big plays so big that the stat box was kind of light and what i mean by light is that shikobi carried the ball six times for 74 yards but he averaged 12 yards per carry for the second straight week and he had the one reception for the 60 yard touchdown then he had dollars sean dollars who had four carries for 59 yards and, then, and that 34-yard touchdown run, he had two receptions for 125 yards and the two TDs. That's three touchdowns on six touches. And then you had Bryce Young, who was 10 for 13 for 241, four touchdowns. He did have the one pick. He 
carried the ball twice for 59 yards and a touchdown. So offensively, you know, you know, they, it was big plays, you know, they, they sustained a few drives, but everything was big plays. Defensively, they held Gorman to 176 yards of total offense. Brew added, McCoy added two more sacks and Moses Cepelloni and Steele Dunbard combined for 12 tackles, four tackles for loss and a sack. You know, and then MD completed the sweep on Saturday with their freshman winning 21-12 and their JV winning 23-21. So um, it was a dominant performance on field for uh, for the Monarchs. And, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting because from here on out, you know, they won't really have much anything up until uh, they play IMG in about three weeks. Yeah. Well, my takeaways was that you know I was super impressed by by Modern Day. I didn't expect forty-two nothing against a a three-time national champion, a proud program. I know Gorman isn't is 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 stacked as they have been with when they had like Tate Martell, um, stuff like that. But um, you know I I I, I didn't expect that. Um, they you know Gorman did not have a. a I, they they showed at the end when the game was out of hand they could pass a little bit better but they couldn't establish their run and I think that's what they wanted to do and they could not match modern day's team speed at all um, and their defense was just overmatched by physicalness I came away very impressed with Bryce Young I can't believe how athletic that that guy that the run was 34 yard run was just sensational um, the way he just weaves through guys. And, and I was amazed watching that replay. And I have, you know, that video a couple times up on our OC Varsity YouTube. You'll see that he doesn't get really touched until the end. I mean, he does a lot of this juking uh, when he, you know, makes a you know back cut um, in the in the uh, in the face of a pass rush in the in the backfield. And he weaves through the line of scrimmage and cuts up field. He never touched. And it's not until the very end when he's diving in. So it's he's so slick. And then uh, Brew McCoy. Is a monster two-way player. Um, you know the two sacks um, had a fumble, but you know he he had such a devastating block on the seventy-one-yard touchdown by, um, you know, by Sean Dollars. I mean, he's just like a he's just so um, multi-dimensional with his blocking is just insane. At six-three, you know, two fifteen, you know, DBs have no chance against Brew McCoy. There's not a DB. He's gonna um, he's just too aggressive. His blocking technique is too good, and he's too unselfish of a guy. He, I mean, that's an automatic. That that's something you have to game plan. He's going to knock over some DB, and I don't know how teams are going to stop it. And if you have um, some amazing safety that can come over and help you, and then when he catches it, he you know in the secondary, you, you, I mean, yeah, they forced a fumble I think on his first um, play, but he's gonna he's very hard to bring down. Um, both those guys. I don't know if there's anything you want to add on on Brew McCoy and and Bryce. I mean, pretty much with Bryce, you know that that game and you know those offensive touchdowns gives you an idea of what modern day is going to be like for the rest of the year. That is what they do. That's what Bryce does. He makes you know everyone talks about him being in the pocket, and yes, he's not. He makes if you watch if anyone watches his Cathedral highlight film, it's all outside it's out you know outside the pocket he's making he's you know doing they call him the magician that's one of the nicknames I oh heard yeah call him the, the magician because he sits there he'll like juke everybody out and go in circles he'll go around and then he'll throw a 75 yard 
bomb on the money and and that's you know what he does and and that's exactly what we saw and as far as um Brewer goes he's the complete player um you know he's an unselfish player because he loves to block he loves to you know and that's what you 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 will see on all everybody's touchdown runs he's always blocking on somebody you know and and you you know a lot of kids we watch them on the other highlight films and stuff like that and you'll see receivers and they're kind of just trotting down the way but he loves to block he loved and that's why he has his nickname the bruiser brew mccoy yeah um he's because he's very he's physical kid loves all of that so yeah exactly yep yeah i wrote a story about him earlier in the week if you guys didn't check that out please check it out uh you know search uh bruiser brew mccoy on oc varsity hopefully you guys saw it um you know uh, follow me on twitter at oc varsity guy um but yeah that's you know the thing about uh bryce just as impressive on his second touchdown pass. Um, or I, I don't actually it wasn't the second, but it was, uh, I think it might've been. Yeah. It was the third one early in the second half, his touchdown to Jacoby Harper. That was one where he used his feet to again, escape the rush. He was out of the pocket running forward. And then because of that time, Jacoby Harper, the running back was well behind the secondary. They had lost track of him. He was wide open, and that's how a 60-yard touchdown uh, came about because Bryce used his feet, escaped the pressure, and moved out of the pocket, threw on the run, just like you said. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, and he actually broke a tackle on that one, too. I almost thought he was going to get sacked, and he actually broke a tackle on that one and um, and got to the outside when he hit, when he hit, uh, Jacoby, so yep. Now there were some other great games. It was a huge week in SoCal football, and and for the Trinity teams was all part of it. Another big result, Scotty, was Centennial Corona rallying very impressively in the second half uh, to beat Orange Lutheran forty-five to twenty-eight. Orange Lutheran was up fourteen nothing at halftime of this game, and playing great defense and looking like maybe the team that. You know, we expected, but then this game got uh, really got out of hand uh, for them in the second half. This game was uh, on Fox Sports West, and I was able to catch some of it, and I know you did too. What was your thoughts on this game, Scotty? I mean, yeah, this game was like a tale of two halves. You know, like you said, Olu had led at halftime, um, you know, and kept uh, Centennial's running game in check for the first half, but the Huskies didn't waver from their running game. Um, they stayed with it, and they wore down an Olu defense um, in route to 232 yards rushing and outscoring them 35-7 to in the second half. But the real story here is, and I know no one's going to talk about it, and I know we do because we talk about it every week, um, is Olu's going to have to show that they have to be more than a two-man team. It's bottom line, it's that simple. Um, you know, because we are two games in, and Olu is showing the same signs of 2017. Yeah, um, I agree. When Helensky and Ford connect, it's a thing of beauty, but they can't do it all by themselves. I mean, for half a play, the tandem connected on 12 passes for 130 yards, but only one time in the second half. And then, you know, there were a series of plays where Helensky, I mean, looked absolutely fantastic, dropping in perfect balls to Ford, Loya, and JoJo Hawkins. I mean, including a beautiful one-handed catch by Loya for that second quarter touchdown. And then on that same drive, he dropped in a few to Hawkins, who made two beautiful over-the-shoulder catches with defenders in perfect coverage. Um, 
but they just couldn't consistently do it and keep up um, with them, even when they were committed to the run. And that was the other thing. They committed to the run, but they could only muster 49 yards of uh, rushing. Um, and, you know, Olu was down two starting linemen. Pepe was out and Rice was out with some injuries. So that didn't help, you know, because the Husky pass rush was constant. And again, Helensky took another week of being hit and hurried as he was sacked four times. And the last sack came, I think, with the last four minutes of the game, and he got up slow, limped to the sideline, and he didn't even come back to do the final kneel down. They put in the second-string quarterback. So I wondered if he would even have come back. And he looked okay on the sideline, but I think they just knew it was done, so they didn't want to bother having him go out there. But, I mean, you know, you know, Olu, you know, showed heart. I mean, they had a few defensive kids that, that played really, really well. Yeah. Zach Brogdon and Jay Cosavella. I mean, they played their hearts out. I mean, they both had like over 30 combined tackles. So. Or I think you're thinking of Clo- uh, uh, Cloyd. It wasn't Brogdon. Oh, Brogdon and Cloyd. Uh, you said Ca- uh, Casavella. Yeah, Jay Casavella is the D-line. The, the D-line. Oh, okay. I had him for, for a lot of tackles as, as well. So I know um, um, I know uh, Cloyd had a um, monster game, and so did uh, Brogdon. Brogdon, both those, yeah. So, both I those mean, linemen, linebackers. Yeah, so they, I mean, they, they, you know, they kept, you know, a centennial team in check, um, but, you know, I'm going to say, you know, this isn't the same centennial scoring machine. And you probably agree that, they, you know, they didn't fire off the ball as quick. And yeah. the quarterback and their running back, you know, read option wasn't lightning quick as previous teams. Um, they still wear you down. You know, their passing game isn't consistent yet. But, um, you know, they did pick up on their rushing yards. They picked up four, five, seven, four, five, you know, and it just, it wears on you. You know, and, you know, that nickel and dime down the field um, can be a killer on the defense. Um, but it's their defense that, uh, you know, allowed that other offense not to have to score on every drive as, the, as as they have in the past. But, you know, swinging back to Orange Luton, they, they, you know, they played, I think, better than they did last year against them. But, you know, it's, it's they're going to have to somehow figure this, you know, same issue that we keep talking about. And, um, yeah. But, it is what it is, and that's you know what it, we see, and I'm and I'm pretty sure everybody else sees the same thing. So, yeah, you know, we've been really we've been that's been a big theme on the Trinity League uh, podcast about you know um, talked to Ryan Helinski during the summer, said they were gonna you know try to get the run going uh, game going. I'm surprised, um, you know, I know they I think they had about 20 carries against Lance against uh, the Huskies, but you know, like you said, didn't really take the pressure off. Um, Halinski. Um, I know they on the broadcast. Um, John Jackson mentioned JJ mentioned the he kind of was wondering why they weren't throwing the tight ends more. Um, I'm sure you picked up on that. And it, you know Elijah Morara ended up with one catch, and uh, Ethan Ray didn't have a catch. He hasn't really got going. Um, you know you just wonder if they could move those guys around um, as well and. Try to get them, you know. Those are usually quarterbacks' best friends. Those, you know, those quick tight end actions, and let those guys try to uh, tackle those big boys who can, uh, who can move. Um, but uh, we'll have to see how the Lancers uh, continue to evolve. Um, hopefully, for their sake, 
um, and you know uh, that they do continue to evolve because there's certainly a lot of uh, talent on that team. Let's move on to another tale of two halves, as you mentioned, Scotty, uh, uh, accurately about that Olu game. But how about Servite, 37-32 victory, comeback victory against Norco. Friars improved to 2-0. So at halftime, Norco had all 32 of their points after 26 points in the second quarter. They were up 32-14 to at halftime. So what happened in the second half? Friars, supposedly with not even big adjustments, they run 23-0 uh, in the second half and hold off and get a quality win um, to go um, 2-0. and And they, they really fought hard to get this one. And uh, they overcame five touchdown passes by Illingsworth, who threw for almost 300 yards. I don't think... Um, oh, and, they, and I should say, uh, you know, contrasting that, uh, Blaze McKimmon played pretty well, um, threw for over 200 yards. Um, got to improve on that uh, completion percentage a little bit. Um, he was 14 of 24. But um, a, a better performance by him, and uh, he tends to play well against some good competition. But what was your take on this game, Scotty? Yeah, I mean, it's I, I was shocked. You know, I think you know, I think earlier that night or a couple, you know, what was the night when we all met up and we all were discussing our Friday picks uh, up in Vegas, and it was my one buddy who picked Servite, and he was the only one, and said because Norco will give this one away, and we all looked at him like you were crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's kind of a uh, – yeah, it was obvious that I think that Troy Thomas Aura is alive and well. I mean, being down 32-14, you know, you know they, and then rallying for the win, you know, because there was no way – nobody thought that Survey was going to come back, but they regrouped, um, you know, and, and, I, and there was – I read, heard that, that Thomas said there was, like, no reason why they should be down that much. They were over-pursuing. Yeah. They were missing tackles. But that they were playing with Norco. You know, just settle down and get at it, and that's all we need to do. And they did. And, you know, but it was that that first half that, you know, that they, you know, they got scorched for five touchdowns, you know. and they. But the one thing that was key, and they limited, um, you know, they limited them to 76 passing yards and, and picking them off once in the second half. But the most impressive thing I think Servite was also to do that was key was limit Norco's running back tandem to a combined 76 yards. And um, I think that was that was a key thing, um, you know, because it looked like the Norco was going to win this one all the way. Um, but um, that was a great comeback win for from being down on that deficit. Now it's just like I said, Servite just has to – that's a big confidence builder. So now they just have to build on that, knowing that they can play with, with – with teams and, you know, and not have to have, um, you know, have that, that, um, the issue of, of them being, not being able to, to compete with teams, you know, now yeah. they know that they can. So, yeah, exactly. You know, it was, uh, you know, I think, I know I was wondering, and I'm sure others, and I know other, uh, SoCal fans were probably wondering, you know, wh- where is coach Thomas, as far as that, like you mentioned that, the the Thomas factor, the aura, the uh, the mojo that you you know for, for having such a successful coach that you know really I mean the guy turned around Servite and made them Pack Five and Trinity League champs and they were dominating the Trinity League for a long time, um, well in his first tenure there but then he went to Crespi and it, it really he never uh, he didn't win very much there they really struggled and I wondered where is this where is this coach right now and I think we're seeing that he uh, still has 
that aura that you uh, uh, talked uh, talked about. So I think Servite's probably feeling pretty good about that hire. You know, one other thing going on behind the scenes too, and I almost um, picked Servite almost because of this, is that um, two of their linemen, two of their very good linemen, uh, Richard and Robert Krebs, their mother had passed away um, recently. And this was the first game since then. And the school's been really rallying behind uh, the Kreb brothers, one of them who's a major captain. And, um, you know, these are key players for him. One's like, you know, school president and um, a very um, dynamic leader. And both of them are, are excellent athletes and, and very well, um, you know, well-known kids at the campus. And I think that was a, another emotional thing that uh, also uh, kind of fueled Servite. So they had some extra push. And then to get to their bye week, knowing that, hey, we get this win, we're on our bye. Yeah, that's exactly. I mean, that's they overcame that adversity too as well. So I, I didn't realize that until I think it was Saturday morning. I thought I uh, somebody told me about that, and I was like, wow, that's you know, and um, that was big. That was big, you know. So so um, you know, another big win um, on Friday, and I was a little, I was surprised by the margin of this. I picked Jay Sarah to win. But they went in an impressive fashion, 49-21 at Calabasas, who's a very, um, very talented team. Ask Scotty, you know, if you listen to Scotty's preview, there was a lot of things for Jay Sarah to be concerned about. A lot of good players on the other side. But it was Chris Street, who they gave the rock to 22 times, the junior transfer from Modern Day. So there wasn't that sharing that was so, so big in that first game against Corona Del Mar. They featured Chris Street. He ran for 127 yards, averaged almost uh, six yards a carry, scored a touchdown. But Anthony Ward still scored a touchdown. Caden Bell scored a touchdown on the ground. Um, they uh, also even got a, a receiving touchdown from uh, Jaden Genova, sophomore. He's also a transfer uh, from Modern Day. But uh, Scotty, what was your take on uh, you know Jay Sarah, you know going to two and zero, you know with another uh, big time performance? Yeah, Calabasas kind of learned what it's like to step up and play a D1 team. You know, yeah. and this is the trend that I've seen over the last few years where a lower-level power who's dominated their divisions have always to step up to play a D1 team for the first time, and they don't realize how big a difference it is, and it is, and they always they, they get, you know, kind of like rocked in that, um, get overmatched, and um you know, you're going to have to play mistake-free football and be able to control the line of scrimmage. And uh, Jay Sarah showed Calabasas, you know, what to expect when you're going to play D1. And they, they set the tone was set by the Lion defense, you know, as they pressured uh, Jaden Casey all night. Um, you know, as Zamaji Duncan and Tyler Shimamore each had pick sixes. And uh, freshman D lineman Selala Salufa had two yeah. sacks. You know, but when, but when Casey did have time, and he made most of it. Uh, the Calabasas skills were able to get their yards after catches, especially newly acquired Jermaine Burton, who caught two long scores in each half. And then Micah Pittman made some huge catches, but it just wasn't on a consistent basis to hurt Jay Sarah. Um, plus, Jay Sarah utilized a lot of two-way guys in this game with Jaden Genova and Sean Nielsen at fullback. And not just blocking, like you said, Genova scored actually a touchdown and he caught two passes. And then Nielsen, I think, rumbled for a couple of short yards first downs. And then Sammy Green played a lot of corner when when Zomashi Duncan would go down as their jet, you know, pass rush DN. So, you know, they they played 
everybody in this one, and they're starting to utilize their athletes, which I don't think Jaser has done in the past. And then yeah. offensively, you know, Jaser didn't do anything spectacular. It was very workmanlike. You know, they often scored 21 points, but it that they had three long scoring drives of 13, 12, and 12 plays. And then Chris Street, you know, he ran for, like you said, 127 yards on 24 carries, but 17 of that came on a fake punt. So, you know, it, but he still had his, his, his yards. He ran hard, broke tackles. You know, it was all workmanlike. Um, you know, if Calabasas could have cut down on their mistakes, they committed 13 penalties. The game could have been closer, but one thing was apparent that Jay Serra's, you know, physicality was just too much for uh, Calabasas. Yeah, they're, they just seem dialed in. Um, more, Jay Serra seems more dialed in, more disciplined, um, making smarter plays, you know, the defense, the alertness. Um, and, you know, they seem to really be in tune with their athletes this year. It's definitely, it's a, it's definitely a, a noticeable shift um, this year where they've had two-way players before, but they seem to have better roles for some of their guys this year and a few more of them this year. So um, another big game, Scott, you know, this is, this is the last big one um, that we haven't covered yet. Mission Viejo defeated Santa Margarita 30-20. to That was the OC Varsity uh, game of the night on Friday. So this was a big clash, big victory for the Diablos who are, you know, they, you know, we talked about another, uh, you know, a public school. We talked about Centennial getting that victory. The Diablos want to be in that conversation of we're uh, one of the top public schools around, just like Centennial Corona, which beat Olu, or like Long Beach Poly with uh, their amazing history. But uh, Mission Viejo uh, had themselves a great night, um, got that victory against another Trinity League team. They have a great record against some Trinity League teams. Uh, obviously, you know, probably outside of modern day, um, in recent years. But um, what was your take on this? Where where Joey Joey Yellen played a great game, and Achille Arner, Achille Arnold, three interceptions. Um, he's our OC Varsity Defensive Player of the Week, and that's kind of what we predicted um, about that that scheme for Costelli um, might be a lot for a sophomore. Yeah, you know, I think this turned out exactly how we thought. You know, it wasn't a blowout. It was close, and, and uh, Mission Viejo defense gave uh, young Peter Caselli an introduction to big time D one football. You know, you know it was that Diablo defense that cooled off Caselli, intercepting him four times. The three by a Arnold, like you said, um, and despite you know the Diablos creating havoc um, for Caselli, he only completed thirty three percent of his passes. You know, and the thing was is the Eagles were still in the game to the end. You know, I don't know if Michigan was that strong or if the Eagles are that, you know, better than what we thought. Um, but, you know, Michigan used their skill guys to make the big plays on their end um, as the, uh, you know, defense, as Michigan's passing game had went for 350 yards and two touchdowns. But after all that, they only lost, Eagles only lost by 10. So, yeah, very good point. Still makes you wonder, um, you know, what, what the Eagles have in, uh, in the tank, and if they cut down those turnovers and Castelli gets better and the team improves, they're not going to be easy um, opponent at all. So last game of the night uh, on Friday, um, August 24th, and we thank all the listeners here joining us on the Tree League Football Podcast. St. John Bosco ran its record to 2-0 and with a 56 nothing victory over Garces of Bakersfield. 
which was a game that we uh, didn't pay much attention to previewing it, and we kind of thought it was going to be like this, and it turned out just like that, Scotty. Yeah, you know, they rolled, you know, I mean, DJ Leahy had three first-half touchdowns. He only he threw for 140, and he ran for 73, you know, and the Braves outgained him 410 to 10. Ten yards they held them to, crazy, you know, and forced three turnovers, you know. But that was expected. I think they're, you know, this team was just way overmatched. Um, you know, Newman and Titus Toller each had interceptions, but like I said, I mean, until Bosco starts playing teams that that are in the same wheelhouse, it's going to be like this every week. Yeah, and I might have, uh, and we'll get to this shortly. But this team they play this week, they're at home, a team from Ho- uh, Hawaii, Milani. Not too bad. Uh, 3-0 start. Um, open division team for the, uh, the, uh, from Hawaii. Um, a one, you know, one, you know, division one slash open division team. Um, maybe this is going to, this is probably be their toughest uh, game and we'll see how that looks. I still don't think that's, I still think, uh, well, we'll talk about that game. Let's not yeah. give it away. But, um, so that covers our roundup, uh, from, from last week's guy. Let's circle back here and, uh, talk about our players of the week and our grades here um but scotty what uh, let's start with that modern day game who was your um players of the game you know i know bryce young got a lot of um press this week um but i'm gonna have to go with sean dollars because he scored three touchdowns on those three touches and they were electric and just absolutely you know just showed his speed um so i won the dollars for offensive player um and i of course player. went with uh I, of course, went with Bryce Young, OC Varsity uh, Offensive Player of the Week, but I cannot argue with uh, Sean Dollars. Uh, defensive player, um, I went with Moses, Cepelona, and Steele Dubar because uh, they each had six tackles. Each Steele had three tackles for loss, and then Moses also had a sack. I mean, do and then I mean, of course, Brewer had the two sacks. But I think if, when you watch the game, Moses and Dubar were in on every play, even when they weren't. They were still making hits and pressuring and harassing, you know, the quarterback. So, yeah, I'm glad we, uh, and thanks to Scotty. Uh, I'm glad we talked a little bit about Moses last week and I'm going to go with steel, uh, uh, Dubar. Um, so, uh, and what were your grades for modern day? Uh, a minus on offense and the a on defense. Okay. Sounds, sounds about right. A couple early turnovers for modern day. Um, and, uh, yeah, the, the defense, heck, I a plus in my book. Um, but let's uh, let's talk about uh, the uh, Oulu game against um, Centennial. What was your who were your players of the game uh, for the Lancers? I, I you know went with Ryan Holinsky in this one. I mean, yeah. he, was, he was still twenty seven of thirty four through twenty four. Did have the three touchdowns, most of it, a lot of it in the first half. But his arm kept you know and his team in the game as best he could. Um, in defense, you know, we talked a little earlier. I, I went with Zach Brogdon. He yeah. had 19 tackles, five for a loss. And then Jake Cosavella also added, I believe, like double digit 12, 12 tackles. And then I know Jackson Cloyd was in there a lot. Um, you could go with either one of those three guys, but I went with those two. Yeah, and I went with, I'm going with Zach Brogdon. Uh, he, he actually told me he had 20 tackles in that game. So uh, there's your, uh, you know, a 20 tackle tonight. Um, so uh, great performance by uh, that linebacker, and I agree with you, Linsky. Great uh, percentage. He made some uh, really impressive uh, throws, and um, certainly impressed with um, the South Carolina commit. 
let's uh, let's talk about the uh, Friars. Who were your so? Uh, well, oh, I'm sorry. What was your grades with the uh, Orange Lutheran Lancers? A B minus on offense and a C on defense. C on D gave up some, gave up that 45 points. Um, Got to get that run game going on the offense. Uh, let's go on to Servite. Uh, who were your players of the game in that game against Norco? Um, I'm going to give it to Derek Fuentes, and the reason being is that he did most of the dirty work and eventually scoring that winning TD. Right. Um, you know, he didn't. It wasn't a lot of you know stat worthy uh, game, but I thought he did like you know the workman like uh, put him in the good situation. Um, and then defensive player of the game, I went with Ender Aguilar. He had a sack, and I believe he had like five tackles. Yeah, Fuentes. You know, uh, 11 carries, 57 yards. Um, I went with uh, McKibben, who uh, with that 228 and uh, leading that, you know, comeback in the second half, I thought was uh, pretty key. So I went with uh, the quarterback there. And what were your grades for the Friars? I went C and a C, C on offense, C on defense. Well, I'm going to give him, I gave him a B on offense. I, you know, getting that 37 points, a lot of progress. Um, still some work to do, obviously, all, you know, that, Maybe give him a C plus on defense because of the way they turned it around the second half, but I'll give him a B on offense um, for getting that getting that point total up after, you know, we talked about how they didn't have uh, didn't really score any off no offensive touchdowns uh, in their opener against uh, Bakersfield. How about Jay Sarah Scotty? Your players of the game grades. So for Jay Sarah, Tyler Shimabura. Okay. He had the. He, I mean, he had a pick six and he had the punt return for the touchdown so that's it's you know that's kind of where i gave them for the they didn't have a really big offensive um player stat wise on that side um and defensive player i went with samaja duncan for his pick six and to set the tone of the game because that was like the first play of the of the, the defensive uh, uh set and um and he didn't get any sacks or tackles, but he was causing havoc on the on his pass rushes. You know, from playing that jet in, which is going to be interesting because they're usually going to utilize his athlete and speed from that end. And their grades B on offense and A on defense. All right. Well, I, I gotta I gotta agree with both your uh, players of the week. I mean, I gotta give it up for Tyler with the, uh, you know, the uh, the you know special teams play and defensively. And how about Duncan? Because he's a sophomore that we talked about last week, right? And yes. I think that's another guy that I'm glad we talked about. Uh, I think another under the radar type player that kind of standing out that you know obviously you spotlighted well tonight. Yeah, he's you know you know it was interesting because in the off season nobody had talked about him. Nope. We, no one was sure if he was going to play or if he was going to start. They, no one you know we were we had talked about their secondary being young and inexperienced and they just you know and i knew about him from the modern day days and i knew he would be you know and from his his youth you know he was a big time youth player sometimes it doesn't always trans you know translates on the you know sometimes the kids peak but obviously he's showing that he he's uh he's not and um yeah he's going to be one of those uh, top sophomores uh, throughout the year yep got to keep an eye on number 44 uh, how about uh, Santa Margarita? Uh, players of the game in their uh, loss against the uh, Diablos. Uh, I, I went with Jake Thomas. Yeah. Um, Jake Thomas, he had 72, 71 yards and two TDs. 
Um, and then defensive play of the game, I went linebacker Connor Burke had a sack and 10 tackles. Yeah, I identified both of those guys. And how about grades for uh, the Eagles? Eagles, I gave them the D on offense with <laughs> all those turnovers. Yeah. Um, and the uh, C on defense. Okay, sounds fair. Um, and then let's uh, end it here with our uh, our players of the week for uh, last week's games and uh, our grades. How about St. John Bosco in that uh, thump down? DJ Anelehi for his you know first half work of three TDs. He had, he had 73 yards rushing. He had a big 40-yard run. Um, and then defensive players of the game, uh, Titus Toller for the second week in a row, he came up with a big play. This time it was another – it was an intercept. Um, but they played a lot of kids. They played a lot of kids that um, on, yeah. on their, from lower levels that, that I saw. And so um, it was good for them for them to get everybody in there. But um, those are the mainstays that that you know did well. In the first Titus, half. yep. Titus Toller, Colorado commit. Um, so uh, looking pretty good uh, commit there for the uh, the Buffaloes. And how about your grades for the uh, Braves? A A yeah. A plus A plus <laughs> yeah. Well, pretty impressive uh, start for for St. John Bosco. Um, you know they're also two and zero, like we said, going to this game, and they've got back to back shutouts. Did we mention that? <laughs> yeah, back to back shutouts. I'm not too worthy on the on the two teams they, you know, they've gotten those shutouts with. I mean, but. You know, like I said, I think this week is going to be a different story. So they're finally going to get a, a, some type of test, at least on the statistical side. And we'll we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah, they've outscored their two opponents, Tim Few and Garces, about 105 to zero. <laughs> you know, um, but Tim Few actually did come back and win their game uh, last week. Uh, so they're one and one. Uh, Garces is 0 and two. But let's uh, let's look at these games this week, Scotty. Like we said, we're going to have a um, one last game this week to preview. Only five games. Servite, it's got their bye, as we mentioned. and um, But these games all are uh, coming up on uh, Friday, uh, August 31st, and they're all 7 o'clock starts. Let's start again with um, Jay Sarah. So they go back on the road again, out to Bishop Amont. Bishop Amont opened up. With, you know, they lost to uh, Modern Day quite handily, but there was a forfeit, as we've talked about. And so... Bishop Amont actually uh, got the forfeit win, and they well they won their game uh, last week, and they're two and zero. But of course, won by forfeit. What's your uh, your thoughts on this game, where uh, Bishop Amont usually plays pretty well at home? Yeah, two and zero, one on one on the field, um, coming off a twenty one six win over a one and one Paramount, and um, you know that that score doesn't give me any confidence that Amont can give Jay Sarah a challenge. You know, especially after getting routed by modern day the week before and you know if Amat's offense could only generate 21 points over Paramount whose main offensive threat Damian Moore sat the game out after being injured in the modern day game so it's not known whether he's going to come back this week or not but I don't think they have enough and I still think Jay Sarah is going to roll in this one similar to the MD score yeah I'm picking uh, Jay Sarah to win you know that Paramount team had opened um, the season on the road um, and beat Mission Hills of San Marcos, who's not a very good team. And that was twenty six to eighteen. Um, San, you know, they're from that Avocado League, which is a Division One team, a Division One league in San Diego. Talking about Mission Hills, but 
Um, I don't hear a lot of hype about them this year. They've they've been better um, past years. So I I like uh, I like definitely like um, Jay Sarah in, in this game. Um, let's uh, let's move on. Um, so modern day monarchs. Uh, this is going to be an interesting one in terms of you know where where's modern day's head. I mean we're talking about the games against uh, the you know uh, St. John Bosco's playing against kind of non-competitive teams. This one has certainly has the makings of it. Monarchs traveling to La Mirada, who's 0-2. Um, again, a 7 o'clock kickoff. La Mirada has lost back-to-back weeks to... They got really handled by Capo Valley, and they're pretty close against uh, the previous week against El Toro. But, I mean, Modern Day takes a big, giant step, um, plays out of its mind against a nationally ranked Bishop Gorman team on the road in the heat, all piping mad about a forfeit. And now they got to play La Mirada. I mean, what do you? How, how does Modern Day approach this game? I mean, their starters are going to be out after the first quarter, uh, before halftime. Yeah, you know, this is <laughs> it's a week that's not going to be much resistance for them, you know. But you know, you gotta, you still got to go in and you got to play. You still got to be focused. I mean, and this is this is you talk about a different type of adversity. You know, you can go in here and yeah, and. Uh, just you know, do what you're supposed to do. Get in, get out. You know, let the other you know let some other guys play that normally wouldn't be able to play. Um, but that, that's pretty much you know what we have on this on this one. I, I, I you know it'd be a running clock, and then they, you know look no don't look for anybody to play past the second half. So yeah. All right, another you know here's an interesting game which uh, I it'd be interesting to see you know because Orange Lutheran's got to play some good ball. And uh, you know they they play host to Vista Marietta, and I say interesting because this game at Orange Ghost College again, Vista Marietta is coming off I, a little surprising thirty eight thirty five victory over Los Alamitos. They were the home team in that game, but um, I did I kind of thought Los Al was going to go in there and get the victory, um, but Vista Marietta um, got the W. They come in Orange Coast College one and zero, but I, I think uh, I think Orange Lutheran could really use. A convincing win, um, and I think this is uh, a week that they uh, can get it, um, and I, I think they will. Um, of course, we have to see how Holinsky's feeling, um, but I think this this sets up well for I, the Lancers to start to get back on track. Um, I think this is a game they need. They have a, um, another tough one the following week. Um, actually, they have a bye coming up after this game, so I do like them to to get the win. Then they play Heritage and Mission Viejo. But uh, what's your thoughts on this game, Scotty? Yeah, you know, Vista went and they, they won that back and forth game, thirty-eight, yeah. thirty-five, as you, as you mentioned. Um, you know, you know, Vista Marietta, you know, was led by they have a uh, running back Theo Gehring who ran for two hundred seven yards. That was pretty much their all their offense. And then last year we remember Olu winning forty to twenty. Um, so, I, like you said, I, I think Olu can come in here and get the win. Uh, hopefully, they don't they can they don't have the same issues. It won't be a third week in a row of not being able to to give him protection in some time. Um, you know, get in, get out, get that bye week, regroup, and then, like you said, take on that heritage team, and then um, and then mission afterwards. So, I, I think Olu, you know, will win this one. Easily, I think Ilinski will put up some better numbers. I can't see Vista Marietta being able to, um, you know, really combat him like like the last two teams have. 
Yeah, I think, you know, hopefully, you know, Lancers get their ground game going. It's probably tempting because, you know, like we said, it's always going to be tempting for Oluda to air it out when you have Holinsky. And Vista Marietta, they didn't face any quarterback at all like, um, you know, they're going to face in, in Holinsky. Um, Low Sowell is going with Cade uh, McConnell, who uh, threw for just over 200 yards, had a late interception that was key. Um, but I like to see uh, Olu get their ground game. You know, um, Oscar Brown ran for about 78 yards for for um, Low Sal against Vista Marietta last week. And let's see if the uh, Lancers can get some real ground game going um, and, uh, and start to balance out things and, and, and get back on track going in their bye week um, and get some get some good mojo going for the Lancers. So uh, how about uh, the game for uh, St. John Bosco? Playing host back at their uh, new stadium, taking on Milani, who we mentioned was uh, – three and zero. So, what do you think about this game? They're they're ranked fourth um, in the state of Hawaii. Yeah, they, so they're they're taking on their second out of state opponent. You know, um, and all their Milani's all opponents have been Hawaiian teams, and they've beaten Kualua forty four to six, a Farrington fifty seven to fifteen, and a Kaimea Kapalema. 31-34, so they put up some points, um, you know, and they've scored a lot. In the three games, you know, the QB, Dylan Gabriel, has thrown 12 touchdowns for 812 yards and zero interceptions. They don't have a rusher over 100 yards, but they do have over 300 yards as a team, and they have three receivers who have combined for 30 receptions for nearly 600 yards and eight touchdowns. So statistical-wise, like I mentioned, yeah. this will be Bosco's stiffest test yet. Um, but I don't think it's going to be stiff enough because I still think Bosco's going to roll and still win on this one. It just may not be as. It may be more, a little bit more of a challenge. So. Yeah, we'll see how the, the defense uh, comes along. Um, if they, you know, they're going to get a third shutout in a row. Um, I mean, this is a team that's averaging 44 points a game. Um, they This... Um, this Milani also plays the Trojans. They take on Punahou next, so they have a big, uh, another big game coming up. Probably one of their biggest games of the year um, in their next game. But um, we'll see how Bosco. They've you know been obviously racking up some impressive stats, and it'll be fun to see how they do and if they get challenged a- at all. Um, because uh, let's see what Bosco has on their uh, schedule. Ne- the next game is Paramount. And uh, we've we've uh, I don't think that's going to be much, and then they'll play Shamanad. So it's either going to be uh, this game against Milani, or it's going to be Shamanad is going to be somewhat of a test uh, before they open their Trinity League off their bye. And as we mentioned, they opened up against. Do you know who it is, Scotty? Jay Sarah. Absolutely, Jay Sarah, looking dynamite. That could be the return of Munar McLean, who's still at the USC commit, who's not been playing for the Lions. So uh, that game looking more interesting on the horizon. But in all, in all good time, we will get to that game, Scotty. Um, and our last game of the week um, here is going to be Santa Margarita is going to be back at Tribuco Hills High School taking on Cherry Creek of Colorado, Greenwood Village of Colorado. Um, so we got an out-of-stater game here for the Eagles. What's your thoughts on this game, Scotty? Yeah, so this is uh, interesting because Cherry Creek is the state of Colorado's number two team. And um, they defeated Doherty 56-7 to in their opener. And Cherry Creek has the most football players committed to D1 programs in the, in this year's class. Wow. In, of all the state of Colorado. 
So they're led by Iowa commit quarterback Alex Padilla, who was who threw for 10 of 17, 185, and four TDs in the opening uh, win. His top target is an Air Force was an Air Force commit Marcus Miller. He had two TDs, 110 yards receiving. The other D1 commits include offensive tackle 6'6", 291-pound Michael Lynn, who's committed to Nebraska, and linebacker Alec Pell, who's 6'4", 230 linebacker, committed to Colorado. So (laughs) this alone should be interesting. Um, You know, most would say Trinity Link would be favored. Um, You know, I... I'm going to go with Santa Margarita, you know, in Trinity League and with it, with this one because it should be – we're going to probably keep it a close eye on the scoreboard on this one. Um, but it, it, it's just kind of interesting with those D1 commits that, that this Cherry Creek team has. So, Yeah. Cherry Creek is a team that I, I used to uh, cover. They were known as a swimming powerhouse back in the day. I used to have some big swim meets uh, every year with Mission Viejo. Uh Back in in my some of my early years of uh, at the OC Register, but man, that's a lot of recruits that you got out there, Scotty, um, that you're mentioning um, for Cherry Creek. But uh, you know, this is this is Colorado football against the Trinity League, so um, I'm, I'm thinking Santa Margarita is going to make some quick adjustments and still get the win. But I agree with you, an interesting uh, game nonetheless. So that wraps it up for. Uh, for the week, you know, it's uh, it's not what it was last week. Last week was an epic week. It's you can't replicate that when you have you know four huge games going on, uh, five games. I mean, it was unbelievable week, but still some intrigue. I think this week with Jay Sarah Mont, got to watch that one. Olu looking, you know, we know what we talked about, what we're looking for the Lancers. We know what we, maybe we, we might what might see Bosco get uh, tested. Santa Margarita got some. Um, some tests. So, you know, as a follow-up week, not that bad, Scotty. Uh, yeah, like I said, there's still, like you said, we. I think the Santa Margarita game will be interesting. Um, the Bosco game will be interesting. You know, at least going in, you know, whether or not, you know, maybe first quarter in, it may all, you know, it may change, but, um, you know, it's still football and we still love it and uh, you can't complain. All right. Well, Scotty, will, you will be at La Mirada. You'll be taking a shorter trip this uh, this week uh, on Friday, uh, not hitting that 250-mile range to uh, no, Las Vegas. Not, 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 not this time. You know, I'm, I'm almost thinking I might even even stay home wow. for, a, uh, for an early game. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. It's Memorial Day weekend, so we'll have to wait and see. So, And I am going to be at the Mission Viejo La Habra game, so I might be doing some scouting for the uh, – the Trinity League podcast on the side because we, as we mentioned last week, the Diablos still have a big game coming down the road with you. Remember who they play still in the Trinity League, right? Olu. Olu. I will be at, checking out a lot of talent on that field. I'm looking forward to a couple public schools hooking up La Habra with uh, Clark Phillips the third, um, Mission Viejo with all those guys. So um, La Habra looking for their first win, but they get. They take this tough non-league schedule and, and they go after it and uh, try to get better for the free league, which they dominate. So I'm looking forward to that game on uh, Friday. So, um, and we're going to take out the show with a quick soundbite from uh, the guy we talked about a lot tonight, the bruiser, Brew McCoy. So, uh, Scotty, great job as always. Thank you, Dan. You too. You as well. 
Thanks. You, uh, you're always, you always put in great insight as well. So It was great hanging out with you in Las Vegas and a couple of your buddies, and I'm um, glad we got to do that. And uh, for Scott Ross, I'm Dan Albano, and thanking you for listening to the Trinity League Football Podcast. Um, I mean, I think it goes without saying, just from the way we performed, executed everything, that um, regardless of adversity, we, we show up when it counts. We came together as a brotherhood. We played for each other. We did everything that we're taught to do. I mean, we all talked about before the game all the hard work we put in, everything we've been through in the offseason. It comes down to big games like these. So performing and just the outcome of the game, obviously a shutout. Um, I couldn't ask for anything more, you know.